Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio 106.5 FM, WFMP-LP, Louisville. If you want to find out more about our station, you can go to forwardradio.org, and we're live streaming now. And so you can listen to our show on your PC, tablet, uh, smartphone, from anywhere in the world. Folks, uh, uh, we're blessed and favored to have Shelton McElroy here with us today. Uh, Shelton McElroy is a defund fellow, and, she'll, and he'll be able to explain to you what that is. Uh, Shelton, uh, welcome to our show. Hey, hey, thank you, Kay. Hey, thank you, uh on the edge. I really appreciate being on here. So, Shelton, uh, tell us uh, what is a defund fellow and what kind of work do you do for that project? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking that. So, uh, the defund fellowship is the first ever of its kind in the United States. It's a collection of 35 fellows across the nation in various cities. And what we're doing is we're looking at police budgets. And we're saying, hmm, maybe instead of funding police to do youth programs, such as the Explorer program, which maybe some of your listeners know what kind of outcomes came out of the Explorer program, maybe we could actually take some funding from the police budget and actually give it to effective youth programs that don't molest and abuse children. Oh, uh, so that's... uh that's a concept that definitely needs to be uh, uh, put in place uh, here in Louisville and, uh, and uh, is also being uh, studied all across the country. So uh, what do you uh, think are the, the prospects of getting something done here in Louisville along those lines? Yeah, I think there's tons of opportunity, K.A. So you have groups like such as the Alliance, such as BLM Louisville. You have groups that have been working fearlessly for well over a decade plus in trying to get funding from the city, from our taxpaying dollars, that actually go to community programs, that actually go to economic stability, that actually go to root causes of crime and violence. So that we shift from a punitive criminalization of black people, poor people, black communities, poor white communities, Latino people, to actually funding the service mechanisms such as mental health, housing, economic development, employment sectors, so that folks will actually have the choice of not to participate in underground economies because they will have gainful employment. They will have access to quality education. They will have access to mental health services. They will have adequate, safe housing. So all we're asking is is a shift of over, you know, almost a billion dollars in police funding to start to fund the alternatives, to fund the root causes that create environments that produce violence, crime, etc. Well, uh, that's uh, definitely what we need to be looking at uh, for the good of our society. 
Uh, Louisville is in kind of an interesting place. You know, it's been the center of national and international attention because of the Breonna Taylor case. And because of that, there have been some changes made. Uh, um, that is, the, the no-knock uh, ordinance was passed through our city hall uh, to get rid of no-knock warrants, at least keep the Louisville Police Department from using them. Was an effort to get that done on the state level, and a kind of no-knock legislation was passed. Not exactly what people from Louisville wanted, but some statewide restrictions on no-knock uh, warrants, uh, which means, of course, that uh, the police can come into your house without knocking and uh, saying who that they are, uh, and. Uh, and then, of course, we've got uh, a new police chief here in Louisville, uh, two, uh, Erica Shields, some people have met with and discussed with. I haven't had the opportunity to meet her myself, that is, have not. Uh, so uh, we're at kind of an interesting place. Uh, uh, just here recently, of course, we've implemented the Civilian Review Board and the uh, uh, and the LNPD doesn't like a couple of people who are on it, so they're trying to sort of, uh, they tried to block them, and then now they're still, uh, you know, uh, posting social media uh, uh, posts, I guess you'd call it, uh, that's what they call it, uh, uh, trying to portray them in a negative light. So uh, we're making some progress, uh uh, the people out in the state really don't understand Louisville, particularly the state legislators. Uh, 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 so there's really a cultural divide between the urban Louisville and small town and rural Kentucky. Uh, you know, s- state legislators like to say that, quote unquote, Louisville was destroyed last spring and summer, which, of course, Louisville has not been destroyed uh, just because a you know, two or three garbage cans were set on fire at Six and Jefferson. Doesn't mean that uh, Louisville was destroyed. Uh, Six and Jefferson is pretty much fire fireproof, and the only thing you can set on fire is garbage and garbage cans. So, uh, uh, you know, so uh, so Louisville wasn't destroyed, and it uh, in, in fact, what people did in the spring of summer of last year was was fight really hard to move Louisville forward. And uh, there was some effort to move Louisville or move Kentucky forward in the state legislature this year. So, uh, so uh, Louisville is in an int- interesting place. Uh, uh, so, uh, Shelton, uh, where do you think we're going as a city? Do you think we're moving forward or in, in the same place? Uh, how do you think we're doing? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's interesting, K.A., that, you know, we're having a dialogue and and we're talking about a law to keep somebody from kicking in your door unannounced and killing you as a black person. Like you know, we talk we think about like how far we've come since emancipation. And you know, it took us well over a hundred years fighting just to use the same toilet as white people. And now we're simply a uh, hundred years later fighting to be able to 
not have our door kicked off the hinges and be killed in our homes at sleep at night. I think it's such a gross, a gross thing that in our society, that's, that's where we come. A hundred years to use the same bathroom as a white person and another hundred years to keep your door from being kicked off the hinges and, and, and your family and, 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 and folks being threatened in their sleep to the point of death. And, 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 and that we are having to fight for the most basic human dignity. The most basic human dignity was what we're fighting for. A people that were considered chattel for over 250 years today are fighting so that their front doors can't be kicked off and guns put in their faces without police knocking first. That's, that's, that's just a, a, I think it's an interesting, grotesque place in our society that that's even uh, an issue. And we're watching a trial uh, ensue as we speak because uh, a, a black man's neck was choked for over nine minutes. And, 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 and we have to go to the very people that have bolstered those kind of policies, supported those kinds of practices, and say, please get your knee off of my neck. Well, it's interesting, too, that the affection that some white people have for white supremacy even today that is, we have a, a political party that, that has kind of doubled down on, on white supremacy. And, of course, with the population of the country changing, the only way white supremacy can work is, it, is if you get the black and brown people, if you block them from voting. Cause, because with the population of the country changing, white supremacy can't work. Uh, unless, of course... You want to build a society like South Africa uh, between the late 40s and the 90s where you have apartheid, where you had a white minority population to control uh, a black majority population. Just as a note, folks, uh, that uh, the white South Africans borrowed apartheid from Jim Crow in America. They modeled it after Jim Crow in America. So, uh, so um, you know, it could be that there are white people in the United States that uh, that want to restrict black and brown people from voting and create a situation where a minority population can control a majority. And so you can do that if you keep black and brown people from voting, if you stack the courts, if you use gerrymandering to control the state legislatures. So uh, it seems there's one political party that has made that decision and uh, and the question is, how long will they hold on to it? Now, if the other party decides, for instance, to put, you know, uh, two or three more justices on the, on the Supreme Court, uh, decides to pass legislation, national legislation that allows uh, 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 all Americans to vote, and if they uh, make Washington D.C. Uh, a state uh, 
that would, at least for uh, 20 or 30 years, uh, probably uh, help to suppress uh, the whole political concept of white supremacy or make it impossible for it to work. So uh, I'm wondering how long would some white people hold on to white supremacy even after those things were done? Because as I showed, it just seems to me that some white people just have an affection for white supremacy white supremacy. They just don't want to let it go. Uh, Daniel Cameron, you bring up the issue is how are black and brown people to survive in a society where most of the wealth and the political power uh, is controlled by white people? I mean, you can either fight for the rights of black and brown people or you can, as Cameron has done, uh, you know, side with the dominant group and just tell the dominant group whatever it is they want to hear. And so uh, 
But uh, Julian Bond talked about that, uh, the late Julian Bond, civil rights leader, he talked about some African-Americans wanted to get in the short line to success. And if you adopt a conservative political philosophy and tell certain political conservatives what it is they want to hear, you can indeed uh, get in the short line to success, is what Daniel Cameron has done. That is... uh, uh, working on Mitch McConnell's staff in Washington and then uh, becoming Attorney General of the state of Kentucky without ever having tried a case, civil or criminal, uh, and barely meeting the uh, requirements for uh, 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 practicing law. Oh, and we're not even sure whether he met, met the requirements. You're supposed to have practiced law for a certain period of time. And there's a question of whether being on somebody's staff, you know, counts as practicing law and this sort of thing. And uh, so uh, that was all sort of fudge sort of to get Cameron in there. That as Mitch McConnell said, uh, 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 you know, this is my guy, white people, vote for him. You know, we can trust him. Uh, He may be black, but we can trust him. And so... uh, and that's how Daniel Cameron became the first black attorney general of Kentucky. And then the biggest case of his career, which dealt with a black woman, uh, uh, he, seemed not to, he seemed to feel that her life was simply not important. Uh, and so he kind of feels like, uh, you know, white police officers are more important uh, than uh, a young black woman uh, who, who lived a good life and help people. So, uh, and, you know, he's been, Daniel Cameron's been richly rewarded for his, you know, loyalty to Mitch McConnell and to a quote-unquote conservative set of values. So he has indeed found the short line to success, as had Clarence Thomas, uh, Supreme Court Justice, as had uh, Shelby Steele and Thomas Sowell and, and Candace Owens and other quote-unquote, you know, black conservative. So he has indeed found the short line. So, and then when you talk about how do black folks and black and brown folks survive in a society that uh, they didn't create, uh, uh, you look at the movie Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, and, uh, you know, half the movie, uh, of course, is about the, uh, the Judas who sold out Black Panther leader Fred Hampton and essentially helped set him up to be killed. And uh, uh, and so the the Judas was sort of, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a car thief, criminal, politically uneducated, didn't know who he was, where he was from, what he was about. And the, and the FBI said, hey, you work for us and uh, we'll, we'll keep you from going to jail. Uh, and we'll give you a few dollars a- along the way. So I look, I look at uh, the so-called Judas, and I don't see much difference between the Judas of the movie and Daniel Cameron or uh, Thomas Sowell or Shelby Steele or Candace Owens or uh, Clarence Thomas. Uh, it's the same situation. Uh, that is, uh, they decided... Uh, you know, to sacrifice their own people for a little bit of status and prestige and, a, you know, a few dollars and uh, and to be able to survive in uh, 
the white man's world. So, uh, and so I think our young people are looking at this, Shelton, and I think young people are looking at uh, people like uh, Daniel Cameron and Candace Owens as well. Uh, I mean, Candace Owens, a so-called black conservative, she was all over Fox News trashing Breonna Taylor. And, uh, you know, white folks give her money for, to do that kind of stuff. And uh, our young people are looking at that. And, you know, some people, young people might say, hey, well, that's an option, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, so I hope most of them won't. <clears throat> but, uh, so, but that's kind of the world we live in. <clears throat> And maybe it goes back to, you know, Booker T. Washington versus uh, Dubois about how black people are supposed to carry themselves in the, the country we call the United States. <clears throat> I mean, Booker T. <clears throat> seemed to feel like it was our fault for the way we were treated. We just need to carry ourselves better. And W.B. Dubois said, well, no, no, it's not our fault. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, so, uh, uh, so those sort of elemental questions, <clears throat> uh, as far as, uh, the quote unquote black informant or confidential informant, um, folks may not remember that, uh, Marion Barry, former mayor of Washington, D.C., and civil rights activist before that, he was set up by his quote unquote girlfriend on a drug charge. And she just didn't do that because she didn't have anything better to do that day. The reason she did it uh, was because her real boyfriend was in trouble with the feds, and the feds came to her and said, hey, we need you to set up uh, Marion Barry, and we'll take it easy on your boyfriend. And so, uh, you know, black people, brown people, you know, poor people are faced with those kind of choices, uh, opportunities, as it were, every day, every day, live or die. Survive or not. You know, a confidential informant uh, <clears throat> getting uh, a relatively small amount of money, let's say $500,000 from uh, the police, I mean, that's that could be rent money. You know, that could be insurance money to keep the car going. Uh, when you're poor, a lot of poor people can be bought off for a very small amount of money. <clears throat> and uh, because you don't have any money. And so the people around you, uh, uh, they may have money, but they don't get it the right way. So, uh, uh, and what is the right way? You know, and so uh, that's that's kind of the world that we live in. <clears throat> so, uh, Shelton, uh, what else is it that you want people to know? What do you want? What do you want people to be thinking about uh, as we? Uh, it's starting to get warm outside. I mean, right now, it's like probably the last two or three cold days before it gets warm for good. And then people are starting to mow their lawns. People are getting a little bit more energy. Uh, uh, leaves are starting to come out on the trees. Flowers are blooming. So uh, what do you see out there, Shelton? Elementary school, and they did it in collaboration with community members 
And the community members demanded the absence of police at that vaccination site. Demanded the absence of police. However, they decided to have police there instead. During the backdrop of a Sullivan trial, where we watched a black man choked, his life choked out of him, we do not trust the police. We do not want or need the police. We protect us. We do not need the police's protection. And so we demanded that they not be there. And so tomorrow, the Whitney and Young vaccination site will open up. And unfortunately, there will be police there. So that will be a Friday. We don't, want, we don't even want police in our school. Because this show is being recorded on, on, on a Thursday. So uh, just just as a note, uh, at the uh, 18th and Broadway location, which is, the, of course, the new Y, there's no police there. And uh, even though that's in the West End, it's fascinating to me. Uh, uh, I took my mother there to get her first and second shots, and most of the people at that location who are coming in to get shots are white. I would say nine, even though it's deep in the West End. And... Uh, uh, I got my shots at the uh, at at the mall uh, uh, right off 264 on Dixie Highway, and uh, there's no police there either. I got my first and second shot there. Uh, uh, so it's interesting that uh, uh, folks would, you know, feel the need to do something like that. So, folks, uh, 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 we've been here with uh, Shelton McElroy. Uh, uh, defund fellow uh, uh, Shelton. Uh, I know you've had the opportunity to to travel across the country and meet different types of folk. Uh, uh, I know you had the opportunity to go go to the White House a couple times. What was that experience like? Yeah. Uh, so you know, the work on the First Step Act has started uh, even before the Obama administration. And during the Obama administration, the First Step Act and the work that we were doing uh, could never make it to, to the Senate floor because Mitch McConnell refused to allow it to be heard. And so kind of a political move was uh, after the changing of administration, uh, he didn't have a problem with letting it be heard during the Trump administration to in some way insinuate to black America that Donald Trump had passed the first uh, criminal justice reform, federal criminal justice reform since the 80s. Uh, it did get passed during his administration, uh, but I want to be clear, uh, this policy was being drafted, all the hard work was being done uh, 10 years before that administration. And so... The experience in D.C. was, uh, it, it was one that I was extremely conflicted about even going because of the, uh, kind of the, 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 the nasty, uh, and shadow of, you know, politics of suppression and oppression that have been perpetuated by the Trump administration. Um, and I went because 
we had been doing the work for over a decade, and we wanted to get the bill passed so that folks in federal prison that do not even get to vote would actually get an opportunity to get out of their, their, their sentences earlier because of the additional good time credit that was built into the First Step Act. So, uh, you know, I saw Governor, former Governor Bevin up there, uh, being a Kentucky native, he had no interest in talking with me, um, you know, and, 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 and so uh, that space was, uh, you know, I was there a couple of times. Uh, there were the, the, the celebrity influencers such as Kim Kardashian, um, and it was a space of celebration in some ways because we had finally got this ass. Shelton, I'm going to have to let you go. Thank you so much, Shelton. Okay. Thank you so Thank much, you. Shelton McElroy.